Good evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. On August 11th, 2020, history was made when the then presumptive Democratic Party presidential nominee, Joe Biden, selected Senator Kamala Harris to be his vice presidential party running mate. Senator Harris is the first black woman and South Asian woman to be a vice presidential running mate on a major party ticket. On this evening's show, we're gonna talk about the historic nature of this selection and what this says about and what this means for our country. We have joining us this evening, North Carolina State Senator Erica Smith, NCCU political science professor Jarvis Hall, Jessica Holmes, immediate past chair of the Wake County Board of Commissioners and candidate for the North Carolina Commissioner of Labor, and NCCU law student, Chasley Woodley. So thank you all for joining us this evening. I'd like to first have each of you share your reactions when you learned that Senator Harris had been selected as Joe Biden's running mate. And Senator Smith, let's start with you. I was ecstatic. In fact, I am still very much excited living off of that high. Um, For me, it was finally a reckoning that the most faithful and loyal voting bloc for the Democratic Party, Black women, were finally heard. Um, I'm excited because Kamala represents who we are um, in terms of the American dream, but also in terms of bringing together diversities of people in coalition building. She's not only the first African-American woman, she's the first Asian-American. Her father was being from um, West Indian and her mother East Indian. And looking at the fabric of what she brings to the table, I'm just excited. She's always been my candidate of choice throughout my run for U.S. Senate in North Carolina. I um, don't formally endorse candidates, but one thing that I was sure to do was to establish um, the very premise of a brilliant, beautiful African-American woman that we have in Kamala Harris, who has definitely been on her grind. She has proven that she has a successful track record, and she is the strongest choice for number two in this nation. I'm still excited about her. You can tell in my voice. <laughs> we can we can definitely tell. Um, Professor Hall, what were your thoughts? Uh, surprised and not surprised. Uh, with uh, leading up to the announcement, uh, there were all these negative things about uh, certain uh, candidates and, and overly ambitious uh, black women and all of this kind of stuff. And um, so, uh, one was wondering if um, if Joe Biden was having second thoughts about the uh, candidates he had on the list. But at the same time, I think that um, I was not surprised uh, because um, I think that Kamala Harris has always been either at the top or near the top of the list anyway. And um, uh, I won't say it was hers to lose, 
uh, because we had just such a tremendous uh, pool to uh, choose from of those who had been identified as uh, as, as a foundless, if you will. So uh, I think that she will bring a lot to the ticket and it should be an exciting time. And as an HBCU grad and, um, and a member of Divine Nine, all of that rolls into it too. Um, and so we uh, are excited about the possibilities. All right, Commissioner Holmes. Professor Hall mentioned being a member of the Divine Nine and I will just note very specifically that Senator Harris, like myself, is a lovely lady of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So I am just hyped for several different reasons, um, including the visual of the sea of pink and green that <laughs> shall descend upon DC around the inauguration. Um, Michelle Obama noted in her 2016 DNC speech that she wakes up every morning in a house that was built by slaves. And now we, the descendant of slaves, will have the opportunity to not have just built the White House, but to build up the White House. So I am very proud to have Senator Kamala. And I also note that just as a black woman, um, I am working on breaking a glass ceiling right here in North Carolina with my run for labor commissioner. There has never been a woman of color to ever serve on the North Carolina Council of State. That is a glass ceiling that I intend to break. And in that meantime, I am hopeful that North Carolina will go for the Biden-Harris ticket. And I would also like to acknowledge um, in, in support of the comments of uh, Senator Erica Smith in that she was the strongest choice for number two, I would go a step further and say that she was a very strong choice for number one. I think people forget that she was on the debate stage in her own right and performed very well when it came to debating and articulating her positions. And I, for one, am also as an attorney and as someone who has participated in debate, I cannot wait to see her on the debate stage with VP Pence. It is going to be a very entertaining discussion because I look forward to watching her hold to her own and him not knowing what to do with her. All right. And Ms. Woodley, so what were your thoughts when you learned that Senator Holmes was selected to be the VP running mate of Joe Biden? I would have to say I echo everyone's sentiments. Um, the little girl in me was ecstatic um, and literally like I jumped for joy, literally jumped for joy um, because representation is just so important. Um, and I didn't realize how much it was important until that moment, I think. Um, I, I would say I had that same feeling uh, when President Obama won and I saw Michelle Obama on stage and I'm like, oh my goodness, like the first lady of the United States is a black woman. Like she looks like my mother and my aunties and my cousins and um, how I would hope to look um, as a woman when I, you know, get older. And just seeing Senator Harris, honestly, for me, she was my number one pick. <laughs> um, like Commissioner Holmes said, I, you know, I could see her as number one. And so when she was voted as number two, I just felt like it was the perfect comeback um, after seeing her have to step back 
from the presidential uh, nomination and, you know, just, I mean, presidential um, opportunity and seeing her, oh, wow, she's not running for president anymore and going through that disappointment of like, wow, I really wanted to vote for her. And now seeing her come back um, and be chosen as the VP um, nominee for Joe Biden, I was excited. And I've, I've heard a lot of different things from all sides of like, well, she's not this and she's not that. And what about this? And what about that? And um, I often say no candidate is going to be perfect. Um, and the president nor the vice president, they, they're not going to be your best friends either. But um, I think as a woman, as a black woman, um, as someone who's in law school and who aspires to be an attorney, um, she's a great role model for black girls, for all girls. Um, but she's also someone who I feel like anyone could relate to um, in some way. And so I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm super excited. So would you say that this is uh, a turning point? And Senator Smith, you talked about how she represents so many segments of our, uh, of our country. Um, does, this, does the selection and the strong selection of, of her say something about where we are as a country in terms of our ability to elect leaders who more uh, closely reflect the society? Um, definitely. In this season of protest um, with Black Lives Matter, understanding where we are as a nation in terms of aspiring for an American dream, not just for a few of us, but for all of us. Um, this is a perfect storm was created for me um, in the death of George Floyd. Finally, Americans of all ethnicities came together and were marching in the street. I participated in several of the protests and the marches and stood in solidarity. And what was welcoming for me was there were so many white people, there were so many brown people, there were so many black people marching together for a common cause. And I feel that um, the selection of Kamala, certainly um, Senator Harris demonstrates that we want representative democracy. Um, if we look over the 242 years of United States um, senators being elected, we see that there have only been two black women to serve in the United States Senate, one of them being Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris has a long list of notable firsts. She was the first um, African-American woman of color to become the Cal California's attorney general. Um, you look before that when she was elected as a district attorney. She just has that, that medal. She has... Um, she definitely has the most skill in the position. And, and let's go ahead and dispel this myth. When I say candidate of choice, that means she was my candidate of choice for United States president. I felt that she was one of the strongest um, among the long list of candidates that we had vying for that position. But what she brings to the table is the experience the know-how, the record, the consensus building, that's gonna be extremely important in terms of healing our nation. Um, with this past administration, we have experienced um, not only the impact of the pandemic, but people of color and poor people were suffering long before COVID-19 um, came about. And COVID-19 is just another layer of disparate impact on black and brown. And it is wonderful for the first time in our nation's history to have a vice presidential candidate who can not only talk about 
what constituents are talking about, but talk about something that she has experienced and her family members have experienced as they have aspired um, to the American dream. And I think that's very important to have at the table. Well, let me just you know, just throw this out to, to, to each of you. Uh, you. You indicate that she, she ran uh, for uh, the... Uh, in the primary to be pre the presidential nominee, her mm -hmm. campaign did not catch fire. Uh, it uh, thundered out, and she was one of the first to uh, pull out. So can you just talk about uh, why her campaign uh, ran into the uh, pitfalls uh, that it did and did not excite or uh, ignite uh, uh, support from the uh, voting public. One thing I will note, and this is Commissioner Jessica Holmes, um, I'll leave some other aspects to the other guests, but I want to talk specifically about the amount of money needed to run a successful campaign. Um, when you've got dark money from Citizens United and all of these super PACs, you know, as someone who is doing call time, um, which is politically necessary to raise money for your campaign. On any given day, I think right now, if we were to run down the donor history of the top 100 donors, even right here in North Carolina, we as Black women, when we call those same traditional party donors, um, are either getting hung up in our faces and or they might give us 25 cents on the dollar that they're giving to the white males at different levels on the ticket. On a good day, I might get 75, 80% of what I see them giving to other non-Black candidates. So fundraising is a challenge for Black candidates in general. Um, it is a particular challenge for Black women, especially when we don't come from backgrounds such that our families can contribute you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, my family gives me $5 and $20 at a time, but there is no way for me to compete on a national stage with crumbs when other people are getting millions upon millions of dollars pouring in from the establishment. Um, so one thing I did want to note um, is that fundraising for her was a challenge. And in spite of our credentials, you know, it, it remains a challenge for black candidates regardless of what we bring to the table. So my challenge to traditional party donors is don't just say you support black women, write us a check um, that is equivalent to the checks that you write to our oftentimes less qualified white male counterparts. Yeah, I would agree with that, that, uh, um, money uh, played a very significant role uh, too. And it was such a large field too. Uh, but you have to look at the number of candidates and and how the uh, votes um, were spread out over what, at 1.21 candidates or something like that. Um, at its height, uh, I thought about running for a while, in fact, myself, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but um, um, it, 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 it is a daunting task to run a national campaign like that. And what this campaign showed 
are some of the structural barriers that many candidates who will be considered on the margin or outside of uh, not the political mainstream, especially um, ideologically, but but just um, not a part of the uh, party structure. And um, and what this election did was expose those structural barriers. Because look what we wound up with at the top of the ticket two white men. All right. We're going to have to take a quick break. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking about the historic selection of Senator Kamala Harris to be Joe Biden's vice presidential running mate. We have with us here in our Zoom studio, North Carolina State Senator Erica Smith, NCCU political science professor Jarvis Hall, Jessica Holmes, the immediate past chair of the Wake County Board of Commissioners and candidate for the North Carolina Commissioner of Labor, and North Carolina Central University law student, Chasley Woodley. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. We hope you stay with us. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review, where we're talking about the uh, historic selection of uh, Kamala Harris as the uh, vice presidential uh, candidate for the uh, Democratic uh, Party. And we have joining us for this uh, discussion uh, State Senator Erica Smith, uh, Professor uh, Jarvis Hall, Commissioner Jessica Holmes, and Chasley Woodley, who is a student at North Carolina Central uh, University uh, School of Law. When we took our break, we were trying to just kind of talk about uh, the uh, uh, problems that uh, uh, Senator Harris's uh, campaign encountered during her run for the uh, primary. And uh, there are a lot of uh, really strong supporters uh, out in the uh, community, and particularly uh, in the African-American community, those who are grads of uh, Howard, uh, the uh, AKA uh, community, and indeed the uh, Divine Nine uh, community, all of the uh, sororities and uh, fraternities that are strong supporters of her. Uh, and so the question was, you know, you know whether the enthusiasm uh, is such for uh, uh, Senator Harris that it is going to excite uh, a large turnout uh, initially from uh, from our community, uh, but also from uh, the uh, other communities that are involved in the uh, in the vote. And uh, we uh, started out uh, with a couple of comments about that. And uh, so, uh, Ms. Woodley and uh, Senator Smith, uh, either one of you can uh, go on and chime in on that uh, discussion. I wanted to add to what um, Commissioner Holmes and Senator Smith brought up earlier um, about how Senator Harris, when she was in the presidential race, um, she even noted and said that, you know what, I can't compete with a millionaire. She said Bloomberg is bringing millions to the table. I don't have that. And I really appreciate all the comments that have been shared today. I'm on here excited and learning, um, even sitting here because when I hear people say, oh, well, she's not a poor black woman or she doesn't understand the black, quote unquote, the black struggle, because 
um, she didn't struggle, you know, and her family came from wealth and, you know, all these different myths and thoughts and opinions about it. It still bothers me. And now hearing the facts behind the fact that when you call and you're fundraising and you're calling someone who could be a potential donor, they see you as a black woman. It doesn't matter if you were born in a low income area. It doesn't matter if you come from wealth. It doesn't matter uh, where you grew up, like you were seen as a black woman. And that is a struggle in itself for her as a, as a candidate. And so um, I would hope my mother is a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, but I have several aunts who are AKAs. And so I'm right there in the middle. Of course, my aunts are like, come over here. My mom is like, I'm your mama. Um, but either way, I'm like, I'm neither, but I'm a black woman. Um, and so I'm super excited and hoping that all organizations, um, and even if someone is not in the organization, that they will come and stand alongside her um, financially. As a student, I don't have much financially to contribute, um, but the pennies that I do, I would love to, um, just because I wanna support her in any way that I can. And what I've heard thus far from a lot of people in the Divine Nine, um, as well as the black community, is that they want to rally around her. So I'm hoping that I actually see that um, come to pass. I want to jump in real quick and just share that I have had extreme concerns about us becoming a plutocracy. And as we look at our uh, um, President Trump, it's unfortunate that it was no experience that that enabled him to become the president of the strongest country in the free world. But it was because of his money It's coming from wealth. As I looked at the presidential candidates um, when we had the field of 20, you look at there were several millionaires. It wasn't just Bloomberg, but there were several millionaires who were candidates. And when you look at the intersectionality of gender and race in our country, you have to deal with the startling statistics that demonstrate that black and brown women earn less on the dollar of a white male than any other demographic. Um, white women earn 82 cents on the dollar of a white male. Um, Asian women earn 83 cents on the dollar. But for black women and Latino women, that's 56 and 49 cents on the dollar of a white male, prospectively. So as Commissioner Holmes shared, that there's not only that um, the wealth gap, but for, for candidates, particularly black women candidates, but they don't come from the networks of um, wealth who would be able to pour sums of money into their campaigns. I have been one of the biggest supporters, not just in giving lip service, but in true um, political performance and um, financing who has never accepted a dime of dark money, um, PAC money into my U.S. Senate run. Um, what that meant for me, though, was I raised $250,000 and my $250,000 had to compete with $20 million, um, $15 million for the, my um, strongest Democratic primary opponent that was um, 
Um, Mr. Cunningham, he had $15 million invested in the primary and the Republican Party invested $5 million in the race. So $20 million to my $250,000. I mean, it was a wonder that I was able to get almost a um, half a million votes from across North Carolina, 435,000 votes. But that came at an expense of three cents per vote for me, which for me was phenomenal. Um, but when black women are running a campaign and you're trying to stand on integrity, you you truly want to end Citizens United. You don't want to give corporations personhood. The only reason we have such exploitation now in representation is because we have career politicians who have built their careers on the backs of the people that they're supposed to be representing. And corporate interest has no place in our political elections. What I love about Kamala Harris being on that ticket is that she represents the 90% of us, the 97% of us who are average everyday Americans who work hard to get where we are, who did not take shortcuts, who did not have a silver spoon, who didn't even have the bootstraps <laughs> on to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And so this is for all of the hardworking Americans of all colors who are about representing um, the people we are elected to serve. And so I believe that that is a conversation with representative democracy. Um, both parties really need to put their money where their mouths are and look at public financing as opposed to the candidate emerging. The victor is the candidate who has the most money, who has access to the most wealth, and hands down, um, white males have that privilege and they have that monopoly. So um, we need to break that. That's another ceiling that we need to crack. And so we start this with, the Har with Harris on the ticket to be the second most powerful leader in our country. Well, you know, and let me just add to that, you know, some, some downfalls uh, to that. Uh, when you look at a state like North Carolina, where you have more African-Americans running for uh, office down ballot than ever before in, in history, and all of them are in need of financial uh, support, uh, you don't have a corresponding uh, upsurge of financial support from, Af from the African-American uh, community. Uh, and uh, if we are anticipating and expecting uh, to have this uh, political impact, then there has to be uh, uh, some financial uh, uh, contributions uh, as well. How do we energize or uh, better prepare our community to come out and support our candidates, particularly where uh, they are not getting the uh, dark money? And let me just add to that because every contribution that I give is dark money uh, because it comes from a dark person. But uh, how do we energize our whole community to come out and uh, provide that uh, uh, financial support or that leather support uh, that uh, our candidates uh, need uh, in order to get elected? And I'm gonna ask Ms. Woodley, because I know you're gonna have to leave in a few minutes, but if you could share your thoughts about what galvanizes you. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, you are a student, your funds are limited, but what resonates with you in terms of messages that will 
um, one, motivate you to give what little you have at this moment, but also cause you to continue that once you do, you know, finish school and are, you know, gainfully employed. I think one of the main things I think about is what galvanized me during President Obama's campaign. Um, I remember the feeling of hope. I remember the feeling of accountability and I remember the feeling of unity, that this was our race, that this was everyone's race, that we were all in this together. And so I would say anything that she can do, anything that she and Joe Biden can do together that would create an atmosphere of hope, that would create an atmosphere of unity, especially right now, in the culture of our country with all the racial tension, with all of the uh, pandemic tension that's going on right now. I think anything that brings people together, anything that helps us to see each other as equal um, across gender lines, across race lines, um, just seeing each other as one, I think will galvanize me because if I see a candidate and they're not perfect, I know none of them are, but if they are able to inspire hope, if they're able to inspire unity and teamwork and oneness. And then they're also able to um, give me a feeling of accountability that once they come, you know, once they become the presidential, you know, um, uh, once they be, once they win their race, I should say, um, that they're going to be accountable to the people, that the things that they said they would do, they're going to be accountable for them. And that when people have issues and concerns, they're going to be um, accountable and want to hear those concerns that galvanizes me. It doesn't, I mean, that may be a lot, but I don't feel like that's, I don't feel like that's much to ask. Um, I'm not asking for you to uh, change everything and change every single policy, but I'm, I am asking you to realize that it's going to take a village, um, for lack of a better phrase, for you to become successful and for you to remain successful once you become an officer. I think we have to fight it on, on, uh... Uh, on several fronts, and perhaps I shouldn't use the term fight, but we, we have to address it on several fronts. Uh, one is we, we have to uh, combat um, um, what uh, Erica was talking about in terms of the corrupting role that money is uh, playing and, and, and the personhood of corporations and, and, and the negative impacts. Of, um, of the Citizens United uh, case. So we have to fight it on that level. But until we overturn Citizens United, what we have to do is, uh, as a part of the civic education process, we have to um, uh, show our community uh, that part of being an engaged citizen is not just voting, is not just advocacy, but also as donors until we overturn uh, uh, the Citizens United uh, case. Um, and then the other uh, front that we need to fight it on is um, how do you fill in the gap? And I think this is a part of your question, Irv. If you don't have the money, what other resources can you bring to the fight to elect people? And of course, that would be the uh, boots on the ground, the enthusiasm, um, uh, going door to door, making the phone calls. Uh, so there are ways to fill in part of the gap, but there's no way you can fill in the major gaps that we've heard from uh, or that we've heard about um, even today. And so um, it's, it's a tough battle, but uh, again, what we have seen in this presidential election is that 
that there are so many structural barriers, but there are ways to address them to to ameliorate the impact that these structural factors can have on the candidacies of um, um, of especially black women, but also black men. Commissioner Holmes, so you've talked a little bit about about the the money and the difficulty that uh, women have in fundraising. Uh, and I think the point that both you and, and Senator Smith as our elected officials uh, on this on this call um, have made kind of brings up this other point about representation and and Senator Holmes, you were talking about representative democracy and uh, Senator Harris is this is the third time that a woman has been, tapped to be a vice presidential running mate. But in my mind, this is the most, um, I can see the clearest path to the White House with this ticket. And so we had Geraldine Ferraro and we had Sarah Palin. And they were both on tickets where it was very doubtful that, that they were going to be successful. In the current situation that we have right now, I can tangibly kind of feel and see uh, Biden and Harris making it to the White House. And when we think about a woman um, and being this close, and then we look at the percentage of women that make up this country. So this country is over 50% women. And so when we're talking about representation and Senator Smith, you were talking about, uh, you know, the amount that, that women make on the dollar compared to men. So how does having a woman on the ticket and us actually being able to see a clear path to the White House, how does that impact, you think, uh, how the country sees women leaders? We've got other foreign countries who have had women leaders, uh, United States not yet. How, what effect is that going to have on the viability of women to continue to grow and lead this country? I can see it so well. As I mentioned, I have the visual already of the inauguration and the ski weenies and the pink and green um, that will just take over DC. Um, I, I'm calling it done. You know, we, we have to put in the work, but you are absolutely right, Ms. Dawson, in that this is the first time really where we all see a very clear path to, to victory. And as you noted, with women being the majority in this country, um, I very much believe in representational diversity. Um, I believe that government should reflect the people that it serves, not just in race, but in age, in socioeconomic status, in lived experiences, in gender and sexual orientation. And for the first time, you know, one of the reasons that the theme of the DNC 2020 is uniting America is that so many Americans see themselves um, or are seeing themselves better represented in government at all levels, from school boards to county commissions to state legislatures across our country, uh, more women of color elected to Congress um, than, at, than at any point in our country's history. And now we see a very clear path to uh, a woman who not only represents, um, you know, being a woman of color, but also as noted, um, being the first Asian American um, to ever be on the Democratic Party's ticket. So I, I think everyone 
can find something to be excited about and a way that they can uh, relate. And I think Hillary Clinton, um, her, you know, attempting and throwing rocks at the glass ceiling and starting Pantsuit Nation that had all of us rocking our, our best fitting pantsuit, you know, just confident. And I do think that since having a woman as the presidential nominee allowed women to see what we're capable of. And I think that's a part of why we got to give credit where credit's due. That's a part of why you saw so many women on the debate stage. But before there was Hillary Clinton, uh, we have to recognize that there was Shirley Chisholm. So, you know, there has been a progression to this. And we as women have been fighting for that progression, even if it's taken us baby steps. But, you know, we have continued throwing boxes at that glass ceiling and we're not stopping until we get our seat at the table. In order to be successful, though, in this campaign, Senator Harris is going to have to excite new voters to come out. And a lot of the new voters and the uh, what I would call fall off voters from past uh, campaigns, uh, particularly in the African-American community, to come out uh, to vote, as well as deal with the uh, progressive moderate split uh, that exists within the uh, within the Democratic uh, Party. So think, think about that for a second, because we have to take our break uh, right now. And uh, then we're going to come back and uh, continue uh, this discussion. We're talking about the uh, historic selection of uh, Kamala Harris as a uh, candidate uh, for the uh, presidential ticket uh, in, uh, in the Democratic Party. And we're going to take our break and we'll be right back. Since its debut in August of 1995, WNCU 90.7 FM, licensed to North Carolina Central University, has consistently fulfilled its mission to provide quality, culturally appropriate programming to public radio listeners in the Triangle area. The format of this listener-supported public radio station entertains the jazz aficionado, educates the novice jazz listener, and disseminates news and information relative to the community at large. For more information about WNCU 90.7 FM, please visit its website at www.wncu.org. My name is Reginald Woods II, and this has been the Legal Eagle Review. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us as we continue our discussion about the uh, historic selection of uh, Senator Harris as the vice presidential uh, candidate. Uh, uh, Senator uh, Smith, I believe you were going to respond uh, to the uh, question that uh, we raised before the break. So we'll 
turn it over to yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, um, Irv. I wanted to jump in on the aspect of what this means for all women. As we know, Hillary Clinton um, threw many, many rocks at the glass ceiling, but was not able to shatter it. Um, we were at a time in our country where the most qualified candidate to serve as United States president was a woman. And we can tell by the election outcome, although she won the popular vote, she did not win the electoral college. And um, with the pantsuit nation anthem, I, you know, I wore pantsuits, but I wore black for about two months because everybody said, you have another funeral today. I said, no, democracy died and I'm still in mourning. And so here we are four years later, we can see the challenge that our nation has faced. But when we look at women, women make up more than 50% um, of the population in America. We make up 52% of the workforce. Um, Senator Harris has had some experience um, working um, for family and children's services in her um, legal career. And so I am excited about the perspective that she can now bring to the table for what it means to be a working woman, to be a working mother. Um, we really definitely have to address child care costs. Um, when my children were younger, the amount I paid in child care per month was more than my um, mortgage and my combined, which was absolutely ridiculous for two children. Um, I definitely worked as a um, specialist engineer. And even though I had a comfortable salary, um, most of it circulated through the economy, being able to raise families. Working families have a tremendous plight. And it would be um, great to look at the presence of a woman bringing conversations to the table, um, looking at what executive orders can be done to address those issues that will um, impact women being able to receive their fair share. Um, being in a male-dominated profession, even I as a woman did not earn what my male counterparts earned despite um, being more qualified and being more productive. So definitely, I think that um, her ascent um, as um, vice president, our Democratic nominee on the vice presidential ticket, and she is going to win. They are going to win. The Biden-Harris ticket is the winning ticket for me. Um, but I am hoping that we can start dealing with the historic inequities. We are more than 100 years from when women were able to serve because we couldn't serve in the chambers because we couldn't vote. But now that we are 100 years beyond women's suffrage, let's look at what our chambers look like. Even in the United States Senate, the highest um, chamber in our country, we only have 25 women serving as U.S. senators. And so that's only 25 percent. And we need to be doing better with women being, uh, when we talk about representative democracy, we're not just talking about ethnicity. We're not just talking about race. We're talking about gender. And it's high time for women to be able to ascend and be, um, be able to aspire to receive equity and equality. And I'm even for pushing for the Equal Rights Amendment. I'm a firm supporter of that. I think that this brings it to the table in terms of a conversation. And, you know, finally, you know, we work so hard. It's time for us to really have earnest and honest conversations about where we are as a nation as it relates to gender inequities and race inequities. I just want to add that uh, uh, I agree with the senator wholeheartedly, and and 
the uh, it's it's always important to look at representation as both uh, um, uh, not symbolic but but uh, a descriptive, if you will, uh, as well as substantive. And while it is important to uh, have the representation of different groups and uh, and uh, uh, and gender equity in in positions of power, it is also important to think about what they bring in terms of substantive public policy, because ultimately that's what it's all about. Uh, uh, I look at politics as an instrument, as a tool to improve the lives of people. And um, for those who uh, ascend to these high positions, if they can't use their position in these high positions uh, to, to, to change things for the positive for our communities, then what good is it? And I think, I think that Kamala Harris will be a, um, a, uh, a valuable partner for uh, President Biden if he makes it that far. And um, uh, she will bring a, a great deal of, um, of diversity to the thinking uh, that goes on um, in, in the Biden circle. We have to remember too that often missing is the fact that uh, uh, Kamala Harris is the first candidate uh, for the Democratic ticket from west of west of Texas or something like that. So, so the first one from the West Coast, uh, certainly. Um, and that was kind of surprising. You, you, you know, so that's a part of what she will bring, too. And um, so it's important, too, that our voters keep these elected officials accountable, that, yes, it's good that we have somebody who looks like us, uh, has similar experiences in terms of uh, the Divine Nine and HBCUs, but in terms of education, in terms of livable wages, in terms of um, uh, a, uh, a uh, viable climate, uh, housing, all kinds of public policy issues, what is being done. And I think that we will have a good team to address those issues once the election is over. And Commissioner Holmes, so I, I want to go back a little bit to um, uh, Irv's question about, you know, galvanizing new voters and the progressive kind of liberal split that we're seeing in the Democratic Party. And to kind of dovetail off the statements from uh, Senator Smith and Professor Hall in terms of, um, you know, representation. And so uh, Joe Biden will be, uh, if elected, um, will be 78, the oldest person sworn in as president. Kamala Harris is uh, 55. And, uh, you know, when we talk about the vice presidency, that position, we say they're a heartbeat away from, you know, the presidency. So as we think about galvanizing new voters and we think about this progressive uh, movement within the Democratic Party and the realization that Joe Biden, uh, and he's not, you know, said that he will definitively run for a second term. And so with his selection of, of Harris, everyone has to think about her as being the potential president in a way that doesn't necessarily or has not necessarily had to happen prior to this particular ticket. Can you talk about what she uh, brings to the conversation that will galvanize new voters and that will encourage those that are the most progressive in the party to get out and vote. 
There are several layers um, to your question. Um, one, I'll start with the perceived divide um, regarding the more progressive or left part of the Democratic Party. As someone who was a delegate to the DNC convention in 2016 and watched the fallout from the so-called Bernie bros when Senator Bernie Sanders did not end up being the Democratic nominee. I remember being in the room as many of them walked out um, as we nominated um, Hillary Clinton to be the Democratic nominee. There is a different vibe right now. We are more unified as a party than we were unified at this same point in time in 2016. I believe that not necessarily that we have fixed all of our problems or that the progressive movement is, is necessarily perfectly content. Um, you know, many people had different plans and had, you know, there were many options. And, but yet I believe very strongly that one of the main differences is that we are all united around one thing, if nothing else. And that one thing is getting rid of the toddler in chief, otherwise known as number 45. I can't call him president because he's not presidential. And that in and of itself, you know, I don't care why people vote for Biden and Harris. Um, and many people see it as a vote more so against number 45 than they see it as a vote for Biden Harris. I don't care why people vote. I just need them to vote. And from what I'm seeing from social media to, you know, clearly as a candidate, a statewide candidate, I'm keeping my ear to the ground. And people are committed to working against Trump, even if they're not committed to working for this ticket. And whether you're inspired by the ticket, uh, whether you're just anti-Trump, if that results in a win on November 4th, then I will take it. Um, I recall being in downtown Raleigh at NC State with Hillary Clinton, with Bill Clinton, um, the night the election results came out, we were at NC State in the Coliseum. And I remember going home and getting into a ball and crying myself to sleep. We don't want to feel that way come November 4th. This president has literally been responsible for killing Americans, for people dying on his watch. He's playing games with democracy in a way that continues to surprise me on a daily basis. We're removing mail machines now from the post office. Like that's what we do less than 80 days prior to an election. So, you know, I, I will, again, just in, in closing, make very clear that there's a unification within the Democratic Party around that one goal, if nothing else. And from what I have seen, that one goal supersedes everything else and all of our differences. What we're going to do is we're going to take back the White House and then we're going to figure out our differences.
One, one thing I want to share is that um, at the 2016 DNC convention, I, I too was a delegate, and it was disheartening to see us fracture at that moment um, when we needed to be united. So in Uniting America with the DNC theme um, this time around, we still have to reach out to the, um, to the millennials who many of them are challenging um, the choice of, of Senator Biden, Vice President Biden, um, as well as Kamala Harris in the vice presidential um, position on the ticket. But the one thing that I do want to stress is the enthusiasm that Harris brings to the ticket for the most loyal voting bloc, that black woman voting bloc. In 2016, 90% of African-American women voted for Hillary Clinton. And even though that was a lower percentage than in 2012 and 2008 for President Obama, it was still significant in its impact in Hillary Clinton winning the um, popular vote. As we look at that loyal, inspiring voting block, we look at what it did for um, Jones in Alabama in 2017 and how that voting block being energized made the difference in that U.S. Senate race. One million Black women and women of color registered to vote in Georgia for Stacey Abrams. And so we have a um, block out there, whether it's millennials and progressives who have not completely bought in and there is an enthusiasm gap that we need to meet. I um, was not alarmed at the amount of time that it took um, Vice President Biden to select his running mate. Um, and in, in actuality, many thought that it would be detrimental to the millennial enthusiasm, but it has shown to um, be a positive in that the millennials knew that he gave careful and thoughtful consideration for his running mate. Um, there are still ideological issues that need to be um, discussed. And I'm going to be honest and share with you, I was not impressed with um, Biden's role in the crime bill. And I, um, there are some things that I question with Senator Harris's um, position as a, as a prosecutor. But at the same time, I would like to see the unified ticket start addressing these issues now. And Senator Harris has done that with the um, proposals for police reforms um, and policies that have been um, born of the Black Lives Matter movement and these protests following um, the death of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and George Floyd. So we know that we are not out of the woods. Um, there is an enthusiasm problem, as um, Jarvis shared earlier. When you look at that ticket, we have down ballot races who will benefit from having Harris on the ticket. But we also know that um, there were some down ballot races that were still challenged despite having diversity. Um, I want to recall um, our Governor Roy Cooper winning in, in 2016 and um, looking at you know, what that meant for Linda Coleman, who was the next on the ticket. And she did not win. Um, in 2012, Linda Coleman did not win as a Black woman. 
So I say we don't take anything for granted. There are progressives and millennials that we have not met their need, and there's still tremendous work to do for us to truly unify and start running an agenda and proposing policy reforms and putting them in place now from the top of the ticket to the bottom of the ticket, even in local education. There's so much work. There is a, a fraction of our country. It's a challenging with broadband access for children to be able to get a quality education. And these are the issues that keep voters up at night. And so when we can get that done and address those, that's when we will have a winning ticket and we will have the voices of all of us heard. Let me just add very quickly, because I know we're going, we are running out of time, but, but uh, there is unity uh, within the Democratic Party of those who uh, have expressed uh, a favorability toward Biden um, and the Biden-Harris ticket. Um, uh, close to 60% of those voters uh, are in it because they're against Trump. Uh, they want to vote against Trump. So that is the glue that's going to hold uh, the coalition together, I think. Um, and there's a lot of interest in this election. At this point in the election cycle, there appears to be more interest in this election than we have seen in previous uh, presidential election cycles. So I think if you take advantage of that and and, and galvanize people and, and get them out and inform people about what's going on in terms of in-person voting and, and, and mail-in voting and all that kind of stuff, the voter education has to play a major role in this election because of what we're going through with regard to uh, uh, COVID. And on the issues the Biden campaign appears to be in a pretty good position with the exception of the economy and crime. All right. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion. Thank you all. Uh, North Carolina State Senator Erica Smith, political science professor Jarvis Hall, uh, immediate past chair of the Wake County Board of Commissioners, Jessica Holmes, who's also running for statewide office here in North Carolina as candidate for the North Carolina Commissioner of Labor and our very own NCCU law student, Chasley Woodley. We're out of time, but we want to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at legalecoreview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, and safe.